and this one guy came up to him and he was like, hey, I'm so sorry. I know you're eating, but do you have two minutes? I just want to pitch you on my startup. And he pitched the guy. And this is an amazing and you're just company. Sitting and I'm there sitting like, there. <laughs> and I was like, hell yeah. Like for one, I'm, I'm interested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was like, the fact that you believe in yourself and what you're doing so much that you were like, if I don't seize this opportunity yeah. right now, I will never get this yep. again. Yep. And he believed in himself and he was like, I have to do it. Are you ready to get down to earth? It's Raven Hernandez. Let's do it. Welcome to the show, first and foremost, Leisha. I'm so happy to have you here. I love how our friendship has just like very quickly taken off in a lot of different cities. Yeah, that's been really fun. Um, no, I would love the I love the idea of what's poppin' cherries as your podcast name <laughs> for sure. But I want to jump right in and start asking you just questions about this new stage in your life. You've done a lot of things, and we'll get there. But first and foremost, just What's it been like on the investing side and like raising capital for your own funds, like with your mom adventures? Talk, talk to me about that. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, this is so inappropriate, but so appropriate at the same Say time it. as we talked about, you know, popping cherries. I feel like that's really what this fundraising journey has been about. I have raised capital for so many different people over my career. And this is really the first time where I've stepped into my own power and really stepped into my own purpose and said, I can do this myself. Mm -hmm. It's time to raise my own fund. Mm -hmm. So it's been quite the journey. It's still hard for women to raise capital, but we're doing it, you know, just one day, one breath, one minute, one meeting at a time. One meeting at a time. And and that's what's so fun is that you are a woman, that you are a woman. I mean, that's what I wanted to ask, like, first and foremost, what's it been like raising as a woman? Like, do you feel that there are times where things are ignored <laughs> because it's like, oh, oh, this is a beautiful woman in front of me. So let's like focus on that instead of anything else. Yeah, I think raising capital as a woman, um, it's different. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that's the best way to describe it. I think it's really forced me to be in my feminine more than I would have expected. I feel like oftentimes mm. in my career, from being in the military to being in Afghanistan to working with, you know, professional athletes, I've had to show up more masculine. Yeah. And what I found with raising capital as a woman of just really standing strong in my values and who I am as a person, I've had to give myself conversations of, you know, Brene Brown says this, don't puff yourself up, don't make yourself small, just show up and stand your sacred ground. And I feel like going into these meetings, I've had men say, you know, um, don't you think you're too attractive to raise capital or, you know, you look like I would give you a billion dollars just based off of your looks. And Ugh. when somebody says that, I feel like you just have to treat that situation with grace yeah. and in your values, but also setting boundaries. And Which I think, is hard. Yeah, it's hard. Like when you get in a moment and you're you're uncomfortable, but you want this person, like you, you, you thought that you wanted to be friends with this person. Yeah. And now as you realize, you're like, I can't take that kind of money, you know, if they yeah. don't respect lines right but it shows you also who's in your corner which I think yeah. is amazing um this whole season has been about like you know either support me or get out of my way it's really like show me what you got mm. is something I say to myself all the time and I think that's what this has been about for me is I'm getting to prove now standing out on my own two feet with my own name of like this is who I am this is what I have to show and offer to the world and are you with me yes or no yeah so it's been a brilliant exercise in me showing the world what I have to offer and regardless of all the stigma, all of the data, all of the points out there of, you know, it's still being challenging to raise capital of just really finding my champions, people who are values and mission aligned and really my tribe. Yes. I mean, I love that you said that it's about who you are. So yeah. from California, born and raised, kind of love to hear the back name and backstory of Dear Mama, which obviously if you're mm -hmm. 
if you know anything about anything, you know that's Tupac, you know that's LA, very through and through. But would love to kind of hear, like, what were you like as a child? Like, what did you do? Like, did you think ever that you would play in these games, especially going from military to accelerator to venture? I mean, those are like very different things. Yeah. So I always knew I would be here. And it's it's funny because, you know, my seven-year-old daughter is just about 10 feet from us right now. And I can see her from the corner of my eye, Me too. you know, playful and curious and independent. You know, um, she sees the world from such a place of innocence, but curiosity. Yeah. And so as a mother, I, I really, relate to her and that I never felt like I really belonged anywhere as a kid I mm. saw the world differently as does Stevie and my older daughter Jordan as well and so for me as a kid it was and as a mom I'm like how do I harvest that within her how do I encourage her to just show up and be herself and how do I surround her with more people so she doesn't feel like she's alone because we just like you you know I'm sure you were different as well we're we're x-men we're the avengers <laughs> we're different you know but I'm the, yeah for <laughs> sure no it's it is very interesting like growing up and, and being just having so much awareness at a young age can really kind of mess with your brain older on because then you you do ask questions like almost like sometimes like what's the point you know like yeah I can accomplish anything but then what's the point like we're just like little bitty humans on a on a little bitty rock in space that's very very large and we're specs yeah I don't know if it gets like too deep sometimes but yeah no it's it's interesting I mean even with her it's just she's always negotiating which you've trained her to do that though (laughs) right it's like a mirror (laughs) on one hand and it's also like a great exercise but I think um when you said you know did I think I was going to be here so when I was in fourth grade and we had to dress up as what we want to be when we grow up going into school I went into school with my mom's blazer that had the shoulder pads you know in their 90s style blazer a briefcase and I said when I grow up I want to be a boss and I want to be a CEO. And we're and, here. And I'm here. And I was an entrepreneur starting when I was fourth grade, pitching my family on business ideas and trying to get funding to invest in churro stands <laughs> and lemonade stands. So. Look, this is going to benefit you and me, our exactly. wallets and our stomachs. It's a win-win. It's a win-win. Yeah. I love that. So, okay, you're, you've got this fund. You're investing in companies, which we'll definitely talk about. But I want to hear about kind of like that transition of, I mean, it's just such a, I think what's beautiful about a lot of the guests this this season mm-hmm. is that they had these huge transitions. Yeah. I mean, from military to venture, I literally went to law school and then did not do that. And I'm now an entrepreneur. So, like, it's it's this belief in yourself that, like, I, I can do that or I can do that. Like, my ceiling isn't existing. Right. So talk to me about, I guess, why did you choose the military? Like, first and foremost, I'm kind of curious about that. Yeah. So uh, first of all, about transitions, I think we're always in transition. I consider myself sort of a transition expert. Um, It's something that, you know, I've done a TEDx talk on just how to transition through life, through trauma, through loss, through business. We're always in transition. And the sooner we can realize that, the better we are at life. I'm probably like you and most entrepreneurs, very much a control freak. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, we plan out exactly how we think something's going to go and it doesn't go that way. And oftentimes that's hard to adjust to. But understanding that, you know, we're always in transition. So the more we can be in flow, um, the better. But why I went to the military, uh, (laughs) short answer to spite my mother (laughs) so don't we all do beautiful things like that yeah I mean most kids like dyed their hair you know took a car joyriding you did something that was actually like actually good for you kind of yeah so I um my mom you know I was always like I said I was different although I was an athlete and an academic decathlon and student body I just I saw the world differently I was constantly questioning everything and so I remember one day my mom was just like I'm gonna send you to military school And I think she didn't realize how strong I was, and I didn't at the time either. And I just said, you know what, I'm going to join the military. 
And I remember her saying, I've always been like bougie, um, big shocker. But I remember her saying, like, what are you going to do? Jump out of an airplane with a Louis Vuitton parachute? And I said, well, if they'll issue me one, yeah. Let's do it. And let's go. And so I joined the Army. Oh and God. a lot of that had to do with the fact, so my grandfather was diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. And at the time. At I that was, time. Yeah, I was, I was working um, for Disney and for Disneyland. And I remember my boss had a picture of her dad who was a Navy SEAL on her desk. And she was the best leader. And she was just like, I get everything I know from my dad. Yeah. He was amazing leader he went on adventures and so when I asked my grandpa he ended up dying from cancer I asked him I said what are your biggest regrets and he said he wished that he would have gone on more adventures in life and so I left that day I went and I joined the army and hell yeah never looked back hell yeah no I love I've told you this before but like service people veterans active like I just have so much respect because they're just straightforward people you know what I mean like like there is something about the military that creates this amount of structure and understanding of like let me do good by you because at some point I might need you to do good by me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I feel like that camaraderie as humans is like very good to have first and foremost. Like that's, that's just something that I feel like sometimes we lack because we're so in the run, yep. you know? And then it's like, well, is this person trying to get over on me? Are they looking out for me? Are they taking advantage of me? You know, there's all these like balances, especially in, you know, certain parts of the world. Yeah. Like California, you know. Absolutely. I mean, and there's things that from the military that I still take to my heart. Um, we have this creed of non-commissioned officers, but one of the things we say is that, you know, our two basic principles that will always be uppermost in our mind are accomplishment of our mission and the welfare of our people. So mm-hmm. understanding that we have a duty to not only the work that we're doing and okay. the promises we make, but also to the people that we serve along with and the people that we're around. And I think those set of values and responsibility to others other than yourself is just so important. And that's not really taught outside of the military or professional sports. Yeah. But you can have fun in both. Did you have Absolutely. fun? I had a blast. <laughs> I was the only woman on a 14-man team. Oh, really? Yeah. What so was that like? It was um, Oh, different. my gosh. Yeah, so it Where was, were you? I was stationed for the most part in Washington State, but okay. ended up going to Afghanistan for 11 months. Where out in Washington State? I was in Fort Lewis, so okay. outside of Tacoma. Yeah. Um, I went and visited my uncle. He was in the Coast Guard, yeah. and he was in the push, so like the tip-top okay. kind of border patrol-y vibes. Okay. And like big waves and they oh, shot awesome. uh twilight there yeah like, I know exactly so it was like a whole is. thing it was go- washington's gorgeous it is amazing but yeah. 14 other guys yeah 14 well not other guys because i'm not one, <laughs> you're not a guy but 14 <laughs> but guys. yeah so four, exactly so it was interesting because um we had four companies and each mm-hmm. company had one woman on the team when i first started and yeah. a lot of the other women felt like they needed to be like one of the guys and yeah. i remember one time going out on a mission you know, one of our team members, he said, use your combat multipliers. You're the only one of us that's yeah. a woman. A woman, You have unique skills that we do not use have. It. We just will never have. Like, we need you. And mm-hmm. so time after time again, when people would get picked for missions, I was always picked. And it wasn't because I was beautiful, but it was because I thought differently. Yeah. And there was so many times where my ability to see things just a little bit differently saved us time on mission, got the job done, got us out of, you know, potentially very dangerous situations. That's why I love growing up with grit. Like, I feel like we share that, right? It's like yeah. when you grow up and you have to hustle and your parents had to hustle and their parents had to hustle, yeah. you look at things of like, okay, this is what I want to get done. How do I get it done? Like the cheapest, yeah. the quickest and still good quality. But, you know, how do I make sure that we all win and we all eat? And that is like so important. And I feel when, I, when I'm on stages and people ask me like, oh, what is it like being the only woman or woman of color? I'm like, it's a blessing. Yeah. 
this is my unique perspective I get to bring into the room that you get to bring into the room every single time. Yeah. People are going to, and, and then, you know, because we, we do have the ability to carry ourselves well, they're going to listen. And Absolutely. then you can utilize those tools. It's like to your advantage. Absolutely. And I, I actually was, somebody told me this, one of my first jobs getting out of the military, this guy said, he said, don't take offense to this. If you cannot take offense to what I'm saying, you're going to go very far in life. He said, I'm mm. hiring you for this leadership position because you're beautiful. Mm. And he's like, now listen to me. He said, because you're beautiful, you're going to open up doors. People are going to pay attention to you. But yeah. He said, because you're smart and because you know what you're talking about and because you get things done, people are going to listen to you. People are going to follow you. And he's like, people are going to trust you. Yeah. So he was like, use that. So when you know people say that to me of, you know, um, bring up looks or anything like that. I just know, like, I'm gonna get your attention, but I can back this up too. I'm gonna, I'm gonna use it to my advantage. If Absolutely. you're, if it's not like necessarily maybe weak. It's not the right word. Like distracted. If you're easily enough distracted to not talk about the thing at hand, which is yeah. like whatever business or you know thing we're focused on, and you're so focused on the fact that like I have great eyebrows, and like we could talk about that. For a <laughs> and then we're gonna talk well, about what I want to talk about. Thank you. <laughs> I try. I try. And okay. you said something really important a second ago, and I just want to touch on it because sorry that just no, asked this question, but you said you know when people often ask how does it feel to be the only woman in the room, and you said it's your unique perspective. Mm. I also feel like it's our unique responsibility, right? Mm. And so I was in a room. It was all this. It was a billionaire roundtable, and I was the only woman at the table. And this man walked up to me, and he said, "You must be really proud of yourself." being the only woman in this room and I said actually it feels like failure I said because why am I the only one mm -hmm. and he was like you're right you know and it wasn't it wasn't combative with him but he was like actually why are you the only woman in this room and so I think it's our unique responsibility as we're given these opportunities because like you said you carry yourself well you're so smart what you're doing is disrupting a whole lot of industries people are going to want you to be in the room mm -hmm. and so how are we bringing up our fellow females mm -hmm. to our left and to our right other leaders to be in those rooms with us I've definitely started asking like okay well how many other people of color are going to be there you yeah. know if, I, if I'm the darkest one we're not doing something <laughs> right because I'm not that dark so you know what I mean it's like <laughs> let's get down to the nitty-gritty and ask those questions and yeah. oftentimes I find for the most part when I do ask those questions they make space right because if you want me there then you gotta you want you want me there for a variety of reasons and you also want me there because you know that I know good people right. and I know different people than you do, which is, again, like an advantage that we bring to the table is like our resources, while they might be um, sometimes like limited, they're, they're still mighty. You yeah. know, we're still going to bring a punch as, as much as we can. Um, I'm curious, though, you were saying that like backtracking you were saying that in high school you were like a straight-a student and like da, 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 da. did you ever like get into trouble because you said your mom sent you to military school so I like I definitely was straight-a student but also had a lot of fun yeah got a little trouble so I definitely was not a straight-a student I had straight-a potential and I was really good at talking potential. myself out of trouble <laughs> potential. okay 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 there we go there we go I what was, kind of what kind of trouble are you talking about so I was a really good athlete and so that got me out of a lot of trouble because in order to be able to perform or be on a sports team, you had to have good grades. Yeah. And I just did not feel like going to school. I honestly felt like there were so many other uses of my time. Um, like what? Like going to the beach, skateboarding. Fair, I mean, fair. I grew up in Southern California, and we could see the beach from our window. So you're just, like, looking out, like, nah, I'm, I'm going to go out there. And yeah. This is boring. And then I also, you know, sort of like trauma childhood. I grew up with a single mom that mm -hmm. worked many jobs that mm -hmm. wouldn't get home till like, 3, 4 in the morning. Yeah. So I was taking care of my little brothers a lot of the time yeah. so 
I also wasn't just getting to school on time in the morning because oftentimes I didn't have a ride. I was tired from, you know, taking care of little brothers and things. I was worried about my mother. Your so. brain was already past yeah. whatever you were learning there. It was like, unless you're going to truly challenge me, which I feel like it's interesting kids that come from these backgrounds of like they have to help care. Yeah. They're almost bored by school because it's not a ch- It's like I'm dealing with real life stuff. Like unless you're going to teach me how to do the taxes, my taxes, my family's taxes or something. Which I was doing. I was balancing yeah. checklists. I mean, literally, like what was school there to offer you if, if it wasn't? I mean, what, like a safe place to go? Okay, yeah. that, that's fair. That's good. But if you're bored, then of course you're going to you're gonna ditch. Right. But I was <laughs> I would pass tests. So I think it was very confusing to teachers because I was so polite and respectful. Yeah. And um, I was just like so good. But I just had no interest really. But I love to learn. So yeah. if I really liked the teacher and I felt like I was learning, I was there. But if not, there I was like, I'll just take the test and pass. Yeah. <laughs> so you were super polite in school. Were you super, like, do you feel like you had to, you could bring that same politeness to the military or do you feel like you had to like edge up a little bit i've been polite my whole life since i was a child i've really? always i've always been on it's like i was born with a briefcase and just ready to be in a meeting it's really sad in a lot of ways um <laughs> i had to learn how to be sweet really yeah i definitely like always came with like a sharp edge yeah as a child and like i remember someone telling me being like, you do realize, like, you'll get more bees with honey, right? Yes. And I'm like, okay, that's fair. That's fair. Like, I don't have to be combative. I think I was just so mad yeah. about a lot of stuff. You know, I was just so mad at things to the point where it was like, I'm going to call everybody out for their failures or, like, their mistakes or whatever. So I did have to learn. I had to learn how to be sweet. And even now, I think some of my friends would maybe say it's questionable Yeah, if I, if I am. I think you are very kind and sweet. Um, I can see that. I think with me, too, I've always been loving, the most loving, very nurturing. Mm. And I brought that into the military. I've always been diplomatic. Yeah. And so if you're um, on my team. You're on my team and I'm going to love you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And my mom taught us, too. We would always say you're only as strong as your weakest link growing up. And yeah. so I think we all just felt the sense of like camaraderie towards one another. Mm. But my mom also taught us just how important it was to care for others. So in the military, I was always that person like would always stick up for somebody if I felt like they were getting bullied or didn't have everything they needed. I'm, I'm the first person to like call out something that I see is wrong, mm. a wrongdoing that like yeah. can be fixed. Um, but also found like bringing people together, being kind just goes such a long way. Even when people don't want you it's to be so kind. hard. Yeah, you really that's a, that's them. when it's the best is like when you when people don't want you to be, you know, like, yeah. or, like I love when someone's just mean to me for no reason. <laughs> and I'm in a place where I can be kind because I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm about to like <laughs> throw this kindness in your face. That's kind of also spiteful at the same time. Yeah, probably. So a little bit. I don't know if it like <laughs> counteracts each other. How many brothers and sisters did you have? I have two younger brothers. I'm the oldest and only brothers. girl nice yeah. i'm only child so yeah it's a little tough out there but i had five brothers uh, uncles and bro- uh, uncles and aunts that like lived with me from time to time at some point in my life like spent time with them you know what i mean right um from my mom it was her brothers and sisters but they're all a lot younger than me and you said something earlier you asked me about dear mama and the origin and mm. just as i was ta- talking about this now i didn't even really put two and two together but the reason I named the fund Dear Mama is um, really it was a love letter that I wrote to my mom. And so I lost my mother very tragically to mm-hmm. domestic violence. She was in an abusive relationship. And when she tried to leave, um, the man shot and killed her. And um, when this happened, you know, I'm a single mom. My youngest child was about one years old. And mm-hmm. I left my entire life behind to come back home to L.A. 
And I, I was in shock. I couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I got here, you know, I told my little brothers, I said, this is going to change us for the rest of our lives. We will never be the same. Mm-hmm. But we get to choose whether this impacts us for better or for worse. Yeah. And so we made a pact that day that we were going to choose to change the world a little to a lot each day. And so fast forward through, you know, whether it was starting a company, a startup, starting accelerators, all mm-hmm. the things last year, I found myself just being really discouraged with the state of the world. Mm-hmm. And I went to write a letter to my mom. I went to her grave for the first time since losing her about mm-hmm. six years ago. Can we share what like what it said? Yeah, I said, dear mama, I wholeheartedly believe it's my mission and purpose in life to create an ecosystem where all people can show up vulnerable enough to dream and have the resources to get them done. And a lot of that just came from feeling like we didn't have a safe space. You know, Mm -hmm. we talked about that. We didn't have a place that we could come to as women, as people of color, as creators, as creatives Mm -hmm. to really dream because dreaming is a luxury. Most of us don't wake up. You and I didn't wake up every day with the luxury of dreaming. We were surviving. We were taking care of siblings. We were taking care of ourselves. We were taking care of our parents. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, Tupac says we're not meant to survive. It's a setup. And Mm -hmm. for a lot of people, we feel that way. Even though, keep your head up. Yes, exactly. And yeah. so when I wrote that letter, I saw my handwriting say, Dear Mama. And I went back to my car and I put on Tupac's Dear Mama. And I was listening to the words. And, you know, when we hear about we have money for wars but can't feed the poor, facts. You know, and even most currently with our state of affairs, how, you know, since a man can't make one, we have no right to tell a woman when and where to create one about our women's rights. Tupac mm. was singing about this stuff so long ago. And when I thought about everything that my mom meant to me, you know, the, her working through so many jobs, putting herself in situations, herself in situations that I couldn't even imagine just to support us kids. Like, I understand now what she went through as a mother, Mm. and I couldn't do some of those things. But she just did it, you know, effortlessly from our eyes. And so uh, Dear Mama is really a tribute and a love letter that I wrote to my mother and really a promise and a call to action that I hope that everybody will take some time to write their letter to their mother to somebody they care about but what are we doing this for like what are we on this earth for yeah how is dear mama different you said it was creating a safe space for us and yeah you know my background with raising right now and like having you in on the inside has been so instrumental there will be times where you'll say like we've gone from conversations at Soho House and, and you've been like oh yeah these are the type of questions they'll ask women but not men or these are the type of questions I've at like POC people get versus not and I'm just like and I'll go into a meeting and get it back. I'm like, these mother, like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so then I'll know how to ha- like respond yeah. because of you. But, you know, what are you doing at Dear Mama to create that safe space? Yeah. So for one, I just appreciate you saying that because I support you. I believe in you. I'm in your corner. From the day I met you, I was like, this woman has the it factor. You have something so special. You are the secret sauce. And so I think the more that people like us have you know, the game, um, what does Biggie say? Business instead of game. Like the, But the more that we understand how to play this game um, and have the tools to, to be stronger and better, I think that's how we win, you know? And yeah. then the more we can educate others, I think, is how we move the needle forward. But uh, Dear Mama, so we have a $1 billion initiative to close the ecosystem access gap that exists for women, people of color, military veterans. We're raising $200 million, and our mission is to deploy not just financial capital, but intellectual capital, social Mm. capital. And we're investing in diverse founders who are solving some of the world's largest challenges. So um, one of the examples I like to give when people say, why not just financial capital, why social capital? So Mm -hmm. if it costs, I don't know what clubs are hot in L.A. That's terrible. (laughs) I don't go out here. But Um, if it costs $10,000 to buy a bottle in the club and you have $10,000 in your pocket, 
you still need to know that promoter to get in. You yeah. know, you still need to know like who's working the door. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you have ten thousand dollars in your pocket. If you're at the back of the line, you're never going to get in. You're never going to get that table. For sure. And the same, it's the same with VC. You know, we can have funding, but if we don't have the right people on our teams, if we don't have the right advisors, if we don't have the right supporters, we're never going to make it. We're not going to be able to scale properly. Yeah. And so what I I hope to do is to really with our fund is get people to the front of the line and also to know that inside person so they can get the table. So what's like what's a founder that you feel like I don't know, you don't have to give like a specific name of a founder, but like who is a founder that you see like give me like the like the kind of what they look like, you yeah. know, from a broad sense of someone who you've seen that shouldn't have been passed up. Because I know people, I know women, one of my investors would tell me about this woman, a black woman in the South who sold her company and now it's worth like ridiculous amounts Mm -hmm. more. And he was like, that would have never happened to someone else, you know? And it's like, she's, she's happy with what she got because where she started was nowhere near that, you know? So it's like, what are the founders out there that you see that just need an opportunity? Yeah. Like, what do they look like? I think the biggest thing we can do right now, and this is a lot of reason why I got into venture, is post-George Floyd, we saw hundreds of millions into the billions of dollars being in, in donated, invested, or pledged, really, mm-hmm. to be invested into black and brown founders, to be invested into women and women of color. But mm-hmm. the numbers show, you know, what is it? Out of the $130 billion that was invested, less than 2% of that went to women, less than 1% of that went to women of color. That's crazy. It's actually disturbing to me. It's sick. Um, And so a lot of the people that I was talking to were saying that they just, they didn't have the pipeline. They're like, there are no women of color. There are no black founders. Literally go on Google. Yeah, but they don't have access to to those ecosystems. And that's where I really feel like. That's true. It's true. I really feel like my responsibility. And same to the, you know, to the comments we talked about earlier where people are like, oh, well, you know, you're the only woman in the room. Or you're like, are there going to be other people of color there? We can't really blame people. We can, but we can't really blame people for for their network, their group of friends who they're yeah. inviting to events to only be one way, right? But we have the opportunity now to say, this is my network that I'm bringing to the table. Let me help. And so when this happened, I said, I have a network, an incredible network of working with over 2,000 2, entrepreneurs who are diverse. Like, how mm-hmm. can I bring them into the mix? Yeah. And because it's a serious problem that we have to change, it's also a huge opportunity. So Do you have a list of these people? A list of these founders? Yeah. I have a whole database. So basically people need to reach out. Like we definitely want to get, I think like one of the action items after this is look. I have dough flow. If if your room isn't diverse, you don't have an excuse. If you you just heard this podcast (laughs) and you don't reach out to Alicia, then it's of course, it's like, okay. I have a database from some of the top accelerators globally of the best entrepreneurs, not just diverse entrepreneurs, but of some of the best performing. So let's go to your accelerator days because I feel like you, accelerators are either like people like are obsessed with them they're cultish or they're like no screw those guys or they're like it was a waste of time da, da, da. you know it's just I never got to do one yeah um and so you know I'm kind of curious like you have an inside scoop on the good the bad the waste of time on yeah. accelerators okay well we're not gonna throw anybody under the bus never, here. never so the accelerator that I was a part of it was very much a cult you know yeah. in that for one it was a accelerator for military veterans as entrepreneurs and what we call the military connected community so military veterans and their spouses so that's yeah. already just the largest fraternity in the world you mm-hmm. know people yeah. are very connected they care about one another but it was also one of those things where I just went through my closet last week and I was like I really have 75 t-shirts from this accelerator from every single city I would collect <laughs> them I coveted them so it was very much a cult but it was a cult for a few reasons the main thing was that it was full of people who were wired to serve and lead yeah so when you were in the group you didn't feel like 
people were there to take from you or or that you were really giving too much of yourself. Mm-hmm. You were surrounded with like-minded people who genuinely wanted to see you ex- excel. Mm-hmm. And you wanted that for them too. The second thing from that was that um, people just were so available and ready to just be there for one another. Love so it. wired to serve, wired to lead. Um, that was really the main part of it. And then it felt like home. And I would say that all the time. Like people were like, I feel like home here. So we had so many times where people, I would call it couch sessions. We had this leather couch in the office. This is LA. I have to like really get to the point of this. We had this leather couch in the office and people would just really come and have therapy sessions. Like I'm yeah. going through this. We would talk about PTSD. Um, yeah. One of the things with being a founder is that everything comes to the surface, every insecurity you've ever had, every doubt, imposter syndrome. And so we were able to just sit there and be like, I'm really struggling right now. And someone was like, you know what? Me too. Let's talk about it. Because it's like you don't know what you're doing. Like nobody truly knows what they're doing in any profession. But like founders have the unique... burden of also then like knowing that you've got payroll knowing that you've got people investors maybe angels friends family like Mm -hmm. there's a whole amount of people who are almost like can you do it yep you know what I mean a little bit of like I want you to do it and but also can you because I don't think I could and that's I think that's an interesting thing that people who kind of step out of their comfort space have to deal with is like the other people's fear right and like insecurity and like shakiness like wait I don't need you to be insecure about what I'm doing (laughs) (laughs) I'm already here like living in it like you just support me and you know answer my calls when I call kind of situation and the thing too is with dealing with veterans and also why I like to work with professional athletes so before I you know before I lost my mother and I was in Baltimore um, after Afghanistan, I was working with professional athletes and I thought I was going to be a agent. I actually was like really determined to be an agent. Um, I've always felt the need to pave the way for women to be fierce and represent women where women aren't represented. And so that was like sports was like all over it. Uh So I started working with the Ravens and what I realized was that there were so many similarities between professional athletes and military veterans. And I thought if I could help professional athletes transition, I could help military veterans transition. So Quick plug on both athletes and veterans, more so veterans. The reason why veterans make such great entrepreneurs and where we invest. You said, where do we invest? What does that look like? Is rare grit all day, every day. Like, have you hit rock bottom? Have you gone through something really significant, significant in life to where you know what a, a bad day is? You know, mm-hmm. like, have you had to overcome something? Because yeah. those of us who've had to overcome something, just like you said with me in school, like I'm dealing with real life problems. What are you going to give to me in school? You know, mm-hmm. and people who have already had to overcome real life shit, pardon my language, they're going to be able to navigate a business because entrepreneurship is not easy. It's they don't lonely. let it down. They're, they're, they're thinking like, I've got to figure exactly. this out. But there's this interesting area there where veterans and athletes are afraid to fail. And we have yeah. to really give people permission to fail. So <sighs> I, this whole give permission like to fail is such an interesting concept to me because, you know, it's just like I would like rather not fail. Yeah, but you have to because failure is important. Yeah, it's but what is failure? I guess like that's the thing. It's yeah. like what is what do you consider failure? You know, right. like there are layers to that. Yeah. And there are layers to that. And I think it's interesting because in, like, with you growing up, right? Same with me. Same with being a veteran. Same with being an athlete. So oftentimes, as a veteran, if you're failing, like, that could be life or death. If I fail on the battlefield, somebody's getting hurt or killed. And I'm going to have to explain to their family why they didn't make it back. As a professional athlete, if you're failing, like, that can mean losing a championship, a Super Bowl. Like, that's a nightmare for the rest of your life. You're letting your whole team down and all of the fans and everybody else, you know? Yeah. So then when you take that mindset into business and you're running a company – 
we're so great because we know that like we have to perform mm-hmm. um, and we've often been conditioned of you know overperforming and executing but we have to give ourselves permission to know that failure doesn't mean life or death you know that yeah. it means we're evolving we're we're metamorphosis our metamorphosis period we're evolving like butterflies and we're really yeah. being stronger and better yeah no yeah for, for sure and i think that's what's cool about accelerators that they give you that space yeah safe space to do that yeah as long as they're like helpful and useful yeah when you're doing that yes and fail fast they say it all the time but it's like yes just fail as fast as possible don't wait until you're at the end and and don't be afraid to you know to push the eject button and to me that's not failure because you're just learning you know like if you're not i don't know i feel like there is a certain layer of like okay this like you this actually doesn't like you really didn't do it um i always feel bad for people who like couldn't pass the bar the lsat with like high scores you know Mm -hmm. because it's like at some point you either you can keep like you can keep trying right but you know i've known people that like took the bar seven times right and maybe that's like, just not for them and they need to realize that's, that exactly <laughs> and it's like that's the that's the that's the failures that you kept trying versus yeah. like learning to be like okay this wasn't for me right what did you learn yeah i um no it's funny that you kind of went down the sports path because i always wanted to do music so mm-hmm. because i was from nashville mm-hmm. because i was around so many artists I was always, like, in the music scene, loved acting, loved singing. And then as I got older, I was like, okay, what's more realistic on, like, making money? Probably yeah. none of these because they're risky and I have to I have family that I want to think about. And so I was like, oh, I could be an entertainment lawyer. There you go. So that was going to be my, like, way to get into the building and, like, be at the party, you know? Like, I wanted yep. to, I loved, I love, I love going to festivals and shows and da-da-da as long as I'm backstage, yeah. like, with the crew. If I'm not working, I don't want to <laughs> be there. Like, I'm like... I don't want to go be in the crowd and it's like gross and stinky. <laughs> and then I feel like I'm not doing anything, with, you know, overproducing, you know, right. it's like I have to be there giving purpose every time, every time. So, but it was nice to go to law school and then realize I wasn't going to do that and did not do that by any means. Okay. So if a company is interested in learning more about Dear Mama VC and who you invest in, like talk to me about the stage. So for people who don't know, like, there le- there are stages to this shit yes, and there nice. are investors that invest in different stages and so it's like there's like angel round pre-seed seed late seed bridge a and b c and then you know no man's land um <laughs> or ipo or merger acquisition so what stage do you invest in yeah so we invest from c to series b c to series b yep. okay and what are you looking for in regards to like typical like revenue or even like some sort of KPIs that you're interested in? Yeah. So for one, our whole fund thesis, our whole fund purpose is really to disrupt venture capital. So Mm -hmm. our call to action is it's time to reimagine everything. So we do things very different than a lot of VCs. For one, the most important thing that we look for is the founder. Mm -hmm. So that rare grit, do we like you? Are we excited about you as a person? Um, Do I trust you? Trust is huge. You know, are you somebody who's constantly showing up with integrity? are who you say you are and who you are in person they're the same you know yeah um can we simply spend time together because this is going to be a long relationship and then from there we also look for immediately before evaluating any uh any startup of course you know revenue and all the regular stuff but how do you fit into our ecosystem so i'm really big in building out an ecosystem so oftentimes the companies we invest in will have similar um either investors or solutions. So for instance, a few of our companies are invested with Pepsi or Verizon Ventures, or we can see that we can bring them to some of our NBA or NFL partners to help scale. So it's never just capital one time and that's it. It's how do I take you in and how can we really help you scale through our network, whether that's through 
uh, source of capital. So connecting you with, you know, individuals like athletes or celebrities that can help you scale out. How can we bring on other investors immediately? So what other investors are in our network? Because we do a lot of deal flow sharing Mm -hmm. that we can bring into this deal that we can invest along with. One of the major things we look at also is who led your round, because that's also a lifelong, a pretty long relationship that we're going to have with that other investor. So who's leading your round? Is that a fund that we can continue to build and grow with? Is that a fund that we share similar values and mission with? So if there's a fund that like you don't like or you like do you take it seriously yeah we take uh, it very seriously yeah and then i'm never the we have a whole team that does our diligence so we have about six different people that look through the deals that go through everything like financials can you scale the whole nine yards Mm -hmm. but a lot of that a lot of the decision comes into do we like the founder do we believe in you are we as excited about your product as you are can Mm -hmm. we see this fitting into our ecosystem and then does this have the opportunity to scale so while our fund has an incredible mission and oftentimes people think of us as impact because we also, while we're mostly industry agnostic, we invest, you know, very much in the ESG space. So Mm -hmm. people often think of us sometimes as an impact fund, which we're not, we're definitely focused on impact vibes, but yeah, yeah. impact vibes, impact mission. But we want to, my whole thing is how can we prove that you can do a lot of good, but make a lot of money. So Mm -hmm. we're definitely looking for a return. So if your company doesn't have the likelihood of scaling, we would have to look at that at a different round. So what is scaling look like for a company that's trying to raise, you know, a seed round of a million dollars? Yeah. Um, in terms of what kind of company is it? So let's say it's a company that has a a product. Um, it you know it's a it's a new innovative way of making like cutlery. I don't know. Yeah. Out of avocado seeds. Uninterested. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think for one scale is very immediately like is the market big enough? You okay. know, oftentimes we see things and it's like I was going to use a Tempur-Pedic dog bed company, but like pet industry is so big in itself that likely would scale on a lot of things sadly Um, but is your market big enough so Mm -hmm. oftentimes we're brought incredible ideas like the one I was just telling you about earlier where I was like I love this I would be a customer but like outside of LA and San Diego I don't really think there's a market for this so Mm -hmm. that wouldn't really be a good fit for us if that person could come up with another use of that application because it's a great app, sure, talk to us, but like you can't scale that. So Mm -hmm. is the market big enough? How niche is this? What markets and demographics are you serving? Is this serving um, the majority of the world? So is it addressing an issue that's a major issue for black and brown communities or the communities Mm -hmm. that we serve or women? Um, What does your revenue look like? So we, just like everyone else, do want to see that hockey stick style revenue. So how fast can you get to that hockey stick? Is it going to take you you know, 12 to 24 months, are we looking more at like three to five years? And that's probably too long. Um, So simple revenue indicators like that. How, how fast are you building your team? So team is big. I'm a firm believer. And this is one of our core values. If you know, there's an African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So who do you have on your team? That's another huge indicator of, of our success. If you don't have those people on your team right now because you're you're bootstrapping, you're a solo founder, fine. But have you identified and have people do people believe in you enough to say I'm willing to come and work with yeah. you in your business? And then who do you have advising your team? You know, are you somebody who thinks like I know it all, I can do everything myself, or have you gone out of your way to find other people to help you? Mm-hmm. Also, one of the biggest things we look for is the startup's ability to just simply take feedback and advice. Like, yeah. if I give you advice or ask you f- to send me more information, are you going to retaliate and 
you know, tell me, just, I've had some serious horror stories. Um, are you going to work with our team? Are you going to help us, you know, understand how to better invest in That's the whole point. You? Like, if you're taking somebody's money, like, in my opinion, I also want to take their, like, brain. Like, yeah. I want to take a little bit of their knowledge and say, okay, well, how does this relate to me? Even though if it's not specifically my business, right? You know, there, yeah. there are themes. Like, you know, you've seen some stuff. If you've seen, if you've seen deal flow, you know, kind of what to look for and what to watch mm-hmm. out for. And I think I've actually had some VCs that they're like, yeah, we don't want to talk to you. Yeah. Like we want to give you the money. Cause like you can figure that's it fine. out. And I'm like, that's cool. But you got to know like what kind of founder you are. And I'm definitely the founder that like, I want to be able to call you and yeah. be like, okay, this is, this is what I'm thinking through. This is what I feel like I don't see. Mm-hmm. What do you see from your perspective? Because I know you're not Raven Hernandez. So yeah. I know it's a different perspective, yeah. you know? And that's a good point. And that's something I ask all founders always is like, why you as the founder and why us and why now? So I also, why are we the right VC? You know, are you just kind of out there talking to anybody that will give you a check? Why mm. are we the right person for you? Because just like you said, like I want to be able to pick up the phone and call somebody. Um, we, you need to have the right VC that's going to be able to support you because you need that on your journey. And I'm the same way with investors. I have some investors who are like, we want to have a check and call every week. I have some who I haven't heard from. And I'm like, do you, you know, do you want to talk to me? <laughs> Hi. Like, Remember me? Okay? All this Can money you gave me? Postcard? Are we good? Right. <laughs> so it, it's also, and I'm the type of person, like I want to pick up the phone yeah. and I want to call and I want to yeah. ask for help and ask questions. But you need oh. to make sure you have the right VC for you. Definitely. And I, I definitely love a good, pick up the phone i'm i don't know if like i feel like every generation says this you know i feel like there was a point in time where like nobody writes letters anymore and it's like <laughs> nobody calls people anymore no, I feel like everybody you're pick up the phone and call some person every time yeah. i'm like because if no one else is doing it then the likelihood of you picking up your phone because it's not ringing that often yeah I, unique unique I'm like what way can i get to you and i used to find people's information <laughs> when i was looking for a job um i would like try and find their cell phone oh my god and call like ceos oh my gosh, of companies that actually terrifies me <laughs> why because i don't know like what are you thinking because <laughs> i wanted it because i would like because i would reach out to all the people and i just hate i i always know that like there's a gatekeeper yeah and it's very difficult to figure out who the gatekeeper is yeah and so it's like let me just call the boss you know what i mean i don't have oh time my gosh. see it's for grit, you know you that's the grit yeah it's like okay who's here that actually is making the decisions who can who do i need to be friends with because First, I want to know what this organization's about, and then two, I don't want to have to work my way through the yeah. pipeline. I'm I'm on I'm on the run. And I have people appreciate that. I do. Some some people. Yeah. Some people appreciate it. I don't for know. Sure. I'm, this is, I'm just very curious about this because for one, like that just takes like really big balls. To, it's like you're very courageous, you know, to pick up the phone and call CEO. I feel like people would never do that. But you did it. Call me. No, call. I mean, just call a yeah. CEO. Like you said and say, oh, well, I want to ask you Well, you'd be job. surprised. People call my customer service line <laughs> and they're literally like, hey, I need to talk to Raven. And the, and the, and the people are like, no. <laughs> they don't say no, but they're, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, I can help you. Like, what do you need help with? I'll take a message. Like, let me pass you to the right person. That's so I great. think that's interesting. I also, if I'm being 100% honest, have answered the phone and acted like it wasn't me. That's great. Um, I do have alter egos yeah, when oh, I'm in my time. company. There's there's different versions, yeah. right? Like the fleet me, the operations me, the customer service me, <laughs> the billing me. There's all di- like so the sales good. me. They, they don't have to be the same person. They can It makes it, you know, posture the company better. That is so, so great. It's so much fun. What's been your favorite thing about like being in startup land? The greatest thing about being in startup land is just meeting people that are obsessed with what they do. You know, like 
to the maniacal point. I, I can't yeah. even imagine sitting at an, a job somewhere, and this is this is for a lot of people who do like this, but like sitting in a cubicle or sitting in an office somewhere doing the same thing every day, and people genuinely do, do not like what they're doing or not excited. I couldn't do that. And yeah. the greatest part about what I'm doing is I'm getting calls. You know, people are calling me saying, let me tell you about this really amazing thing. And um, two days ago, what day is it? This week I was in Miami and I was sitting at a cafe and this like major influencer was sitting next to me. I had no idea who he was, but people kept coming up to him like, oh my God, can I take a picture? And this one guy came up to him and he was like, hey, I'm so sorry. I know you're eating, but do you have two minutes? I just want to pitch you on my startup. And he pitched the guy, and this is an amazing and company. And you're just sitting there, like, <laughs> and I was like, hell yeah! Like for one, I mean, I'm interested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was like the fact that you believe in yourself and what you're doing so much that you were like, if I don't seize this opportunity yeah. right now, I will never get this yep. again. Yep. And he believed in himself, and he was like, I have to do it. Yeah. And that's what I love the most. That's the Mark Cuban in me. Have I told you? Did I tell you the story? No. What happened in Nashville recently? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. No, you're gonna love this. It's literally that exact same thing. So we met in Austin, right? Uh huh. And we talked, we, we got to talk two days in a row and it was great. He remembered me the second time. It was like, okay, cool. And got some really good advice. Yeah. Like literally took 20 minutes of his time and just like pepper fired him because nobody else was walking right. with him. So I was like, all right, I'm walking you to the car. Um, but <laughs> I'm in Nashville for an event. And it was like a very all last minute thing. Long yep. story short, I'm going past the Virgin Hotel and I see a party and I'm in Nashville. So like, I'm like, whose party is that? Like, I just, I'm always curious. It's my home. <laughs> like, even though it's bigger now, it always feels like small town. And so I'm like looking and I'm, I'm in the passenger seat and then I see, I see Mark and I'm like, wait, that was Mark Cuban turn around. And Joe Miner, my head of partnerships, oh was dropping gosh. me off. And he's like, wait, what? I'm like, no, literally, bust the block. So, like, <laughs> bust the block. He busts the block. I'm like, yep, it's him. I'm going in. And he, like, sits there. And I jump the little, like, fence-ish thing and, like, walk up right to him. And he was with his daughter. And um, I'm like, oh, what hey. Did you see jump the fence? It was, like a, it was, like, a short fence. It was, like, it was, like, this high. Okay. Like, it was, a, it was, was it a private party? I don't know. I didn't check for signs. Okay. I just, like, went in. It was, like, in the outer area. Um... Don't pick on the details. <laughs> but I walked up and just said, hey, and then, like, talked to his daughter. We talked about Earth again. And he was like, yeah, I was just about to order a car. And I was like, oh, I'll have one here. Like, when do you want to leave? He's like, right now. I was like, great. Okay, we'll have it done. Where are you going? He told me you made your head of product to drive him. Damn right we did. <laughs> are you kidding me? You had a partnership. So he dropped me off because he was already about to drop me off literally down the street. So I was like, yo, make this snappy. And then he was just sitting there chilling, waiting. And we got a cute little video. But that's what's, oh my gosh. that's startup land, yep. right? It's literally being like, hey, you know, the person I respect, that's yeah. obviously first and foremost, like has like if he was rude or like didn't give me the time of day, then I'm not going to be like, oh yeah, whatever, that guy. And then just like keep going, you know? It's like he was mean to me the last time. But no, he respects the hustle. He appreciates the hustle. He plays the game. And it's yeah. like, all right, well, let's do it. You never know. I mean, we won a $25,000 grant on Twitter. We have never used Twitter, oh ever gosh. used Twitter. And Peter, my co-founder, literally tweeted Marcus Simonis like, oh yeah, this is a female-founded company you should check out. He was wow. doing a thing. And within like, the same day. I'm like, what? What is and then I was like, what is Twitter? Make me a Twitter. <laughs> I still don't tweet, but whatever. Um cool. Well this has been super enlightening. This well, is now we have to go find Mark Cuban. You know that, right? In Manhattan Beach, my pseudo hometown. Let's go grab him. Hangs out down there at the bar. We Yo, can go he's find the Mark. homie. I'm hoping to see him at, at Spark Day. Oh my gosh. In oh Boston. Yeah, should be there. Yeah, I w I'm I'm going to hope. I'm gonna, I have a whole I have a whole plan that we're going to talk about offline. Okay. In uh in my real life beyond this life. No, but I was just say this has been super cool to get to have better insight, you know, 
just from like how one gets to VC World, which is AKA um, your own unique path, yeah. right? Like you get there however you want to get there, and, and and like if you learn about it when you're 15 or 40, you can do it. Doesn't matter. <laughs> But then, you know, doing it in your own way, which is, like, really important, which I love that you've done. Well, thank you so much for coming. I know how busy you are. Literally, sometimes we'll, we'll be calling each other and we'll have four minutes to talk. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I have to go. I really have to go. Um, but I want to end it because I think it's very insightful to get a taste of, like, who you actually are. Yeah. So very, very quickly, food, fashion, music, and movie, all your favorite things. Food, fashion, music, and movie. Okay. Favorite people, favorite things. Okay, so food, spaghetti bolognese. Always get a scrambled egg on top. Fashion, always. Tom Ford. Just like keep a classic or Chanel. Okay. Who's it? Singer. Music. Music. Fluid Mac. I named my oldest daughter Fluid after Stevie Mac. Nicks. Yeah. Yes. Steve, if you see this, uh, Stevie Nicks. Fluid Mac. Favorite and then favorite movie is The Princess Bride. The Princess Bride. Yeah. <gasps> I love that. It's like a little sad, but it ends like with a happy note, which is nice. Yeah, which is it's nice. A good movie. It's a good metaphor for life. That exactly. Movie. Well, cheers to The Princess Bride and. <laughs> Thank you for coming today. Thank you for having me. This has been so fun. So fun indeed. Yay. Cheers. Cheers.